the open source people were trying to build the internet of the utopic vision. And I'm excited to see what they'll be able to do when they're given more of a chance to do that. Hey everybody, Tanner here with Wagme Ventures. On today's episode, we have Max Howell, founder and CEO of T. For anyone who's new, this is the Wagme Ventures podcast, where we do snapshots with interesting founders from across Web3. Check out wagmeventures.io to learn more about the syndicate behind the podcast. But for now, let's get into it with Max at T. Okay, hey everybody, I'm here today with Max Howell, founder and CEO of T. Max, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I know we've got a ton to talk about, and I'm really excited for this conversation. So maybe just to kick us off, you've done a ton of really interesting stuff. I'd love to just hear a little bit more of your story and really like what brought you to building T. Yeah, sure. So when I was a teenager, I didn't really know what I was going to do in my life and had a bit of a sci-fi fetish. So I figured going to science, and for no reason I understood, chose chemistry. And after getting the degree, I spent a year in industry before I realized, like, I begrudgingly had to admit to myself that actually chemistry is really boring and I was going to spend the rest of my life completely bored with what I was doing, making no progress. It was like the, the lack of progress. Nobody seemed to care about actually doing anything. So I found this just depressed funk. And I'd always been a bit of a programmer, like my dad taught me a little bit when I was six and all, all things very young and it had always been this hobby that I enjoyed but never considered seriously you know like this was 2003-ish and like it wasn't really a serious career even then so I installed Linux and found open source and discovered like what people were building there and I managed to get myself into the web 2 industry just just by the nature of the open source that I was building and at my first company I was working on uh, a bunch of native apps for phones and desktops and the tooling sucked. So I created this thing called Homebrew, which is nowadays like this phenomenally, like almost too successful piece of software. It's, it's gone to the point where it's like fundamental infrastructure that is a little bit dated and stagnant. This was 2009-ish. But at the time, it was just something I needed and I built and it turned out I really tapped into what everybody at the time was looking for. There was a bunch of reasons it took off, but it took off like exponentially. And over the next few years, I put thousands of hours into the maintenance of it. I quit jobs and worked for free and then found contracts and alternated in this pattern of working really hard and then finding some money and still doing a lot of time on homebrew. Like nowadays, you know, it's... 50, 60 million users easily and more, far more if you include like automation that is using it. Like it's the bottom part of and so many stacks. It's just astonishing. Like I, it blows me away really like meeting people and like everybody who is involved in dev of any kind like uses Homebrew. Unless they're die hard Linux people like because it is for Mac, right? But it, Mac became like the dominant platform for dev so, you know, I stopped working on it in 2015 or so because I burned out. And, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, open source is it, when it came into its own. It really did. And those of us who have made the instrumental pieces of it, you know, initially it was stuff that we didn't mind just hacking on in our spare time for free. 
because everyone was doing that. And it just felt like we were all building the internet together. And then, you know, Web2 made huge fortunes for like certain companies and individuals. And over the last 10, 15 years, all those fortunes owe something to open source. And it's become more and more the case. Like enterprises, uh, you know, there's no way that their stack isn't predominantly open source under there. And most software, like the vast majority of software, like every app on your phone, like most of it is open source. And there is no real compensation. Like people have been trying to fix that problem for years. And I was a couple of years ago, once again, working on a bunch of open source. And that's what I like to do, you know, that those of us who build these things, we don't really want to work for these crappy companies. I don't want to work for Facebook and tweak their ad algorithm and make sure that people like <laughs> misinformation. You know, yeah. I want to be I want to be working on stuff that matters. And it's just depressing any other way. And so I was like in between again. I was like, how the, can I freaking figure out how to make it so open source is a choice that people can make for a career. They're, they're not making compromises. And, you know, I smoked some pot and I came up with the idea for tea. Like, it gets your mind working, it really does. And so tea is, in a way, a kind of successor to brew, like taking the same ideas, but acknowledging the fact that brew understands the entire open source ecosystem, like from the base all the way up, all the NPM libraries, like at the end of the day, that if you follow that tree all the way down, you end up with the kind of software that brew packages and provides to people and this open source ecosystem is like incredibly complex so that's part of the reason i think that nobody's successfully figured out any any kind of funding mechanism before but by putting this information on chain and like building a series of smart contracts uh, we have like what we think is like a really innovative way to make open source remunerated like bring that equity that is like been lacking for from the people who have deservedly like a lot of credit for what they do but never had a good chance at actually working on these things full-time so yeah that's the, that's the background of t <laughs> love it yeah so i want to hear a lot more about t and we're going to talk about t in more detail but i'm curious just from you know having been around for a little bit i'm curious as you got into web3 just kind of the ethos or the vibe or the culture i'm, I'm curious how you'd talk about or think about similarities and differences in kind of the sort of the crypto world and then also the open source community like it, they they seem like they go together quite nicely but i'm curious your experience with all that yeah like i i wasn't really into web3 or crypto before the idea for t came to me i you know i have to admit that i was behind i was very interested in the tech i emerged like a bunch of chain related tools and utilities including bitcoin core into homebrew back in the day Never ran it, stupidly, but, you know, we all have such regrets. So, yeah, it, it, it was just, I didn't see how it was interesting to me personally, but when I came out with tea, I was like, well, okay, this is great. I see the connection. And, like, while I've explored the communities, I've realized that also it's just a breath of fresh air. The kinds of people that got me into this in the first place back in 2003 and four. Like the kind of people who were building because they cared, not for any other like reason, like just to try and make something better, to try and make a ding in the universe, to try and like make something new that will change the world. Those are the people that are in Web three, and they got lost in like the success of Web two. Right? It the people I used to work with are these people again. 
And like, I've actually like reconnected with people that I used to do open source work with. I didn't know where they'd gone. And then I've just like come across them in a Discord or something. And they've been in it for a few years as well or longer. So yeah, there's a lot of connection, I think. And so, you know, this is part of the reason like the space is so exciting is that the people who really are trying to change things, they're there, they're here, they're part of it, just like at the beginning of Web 2 and presumably the beginning of Web 1 and all the way back to like, you know, Unix in the 60s. It's that kind of attitude. Yep, definitely. So, you know, how does T work? And more generally, how is kind of, how is crypto kind of enabling this, what you've called this remunerating economy that T is building? I'm curious just for some more detail on T. Yeah, so we're going to be releasing more and more about it over the next few months because, we, you know, it's designed at this point. We spent the last year really working out the details. Kind of se- seemingly one of the more complex projects, I think, that, that people are going to see once we get our smart contracts out there. The base of it is what we're calling T-Rank, which uh, is basically an adapted form of Google PageRank for open source. The idea here being that we need to understand how important different open source projects are. Now, you know, a conservative estimate of the number of open source projects is 10 million. It's more. But the truth is, some of those are far more important than others. And they're the ones that we need to secure. Like we need to secure the internet by making sure some of these people who build it are propped. Right? There's always examples of, you know, and they're becoming more and more common is, is what I've seen of people who maintain like core projects who are just like rage quitting because they don't get funded. Like ch- open source as it exists right now is just a charity. So, you know, we need to identify those ones, and make sure they're propped up and then like incentivize the rest of the open source community to make their projects useful. You And like, these are things that often aren't true in open source, honestly. It's like some, sometimes people aren't interested in making sure it's, as important as it, it could be, like it's, it stagnates it to some extent. Like I love how our system is adding these new incentives in there. So we figure out how important the projects are, and then we distribute the token via a, what we're calling steeping, which you know has similarities to staking in that every epoch token is taken off the pile and then put into the, uh, the steep graph. So people are likely to steep like famous projects, although we're almost certainly going to come up with incentive mechanisms to make sure that up and coming projects or unknown, otherwise unknown projects, like you get as more of a reward for uh, finding those. And so the steep reward goes partly to the person steeping as a reward for like, you know, uh, upholding the network and securing it and partly to the projects they're steeping against. And then when those projects receive a reward based on the T rank of that project and the T rank of the dependencies that that project has, the reward is then split again and given to the dependencies and then split again and given to the dependencies under that all the way down the stack, all the way as far as probably libc is what we'll terminate at, at least for version one of the protocol, because libc is <laughs> it's very fundamental, but there, there is like pieces that go beyond that and um, we're not sure quite yet how to go there but th- this is like 99 percent of the graph and like huge amount of very important software that like currently is either mean you know not 
meaningfully funded or definitely insufficiently funded. Like if you look at some of these projects, they don't have much. Python is a good example, in my opinion. It's it's run on a charity. They get donations for some of these big Web2 companies that are completely dependent on them. But like Python is like kicking ass right now with all the AI work that's going on. And imagine like how much further ahead it could be getting if they actually had like as the Python DAO on the T protocol had like all this token at there available to them in order to like distribute in ways that actually incentivize the right people to like shape the future of Python. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. So I'm curious too. I mean, this is just listening. It seems like this is solving a particular issue for kind of the open source really like the developers. And I'm curious, you know, it, it's reminding me, I mean, there's other conversations, because you mentioned kind of a Python DAO. You mentioned, I mean, there's all kinds of contributors that aren't probably in any fair world appropriately compensated, right? DAO contributors, et cetera. Is there any conversation about down the road, potentially that being part of sort of the focus or the, the mandate of what T's building? Or is that just kind of not not really the focus? Well, it's very much focused, really. Like, we're going to be somewhat hands-off with it. So, you know, a wallet will be registered against the project. And the way we're going to do that is we have what we call the T-constitution that you'll commit into the repository. In that constitution, it, it provides a wallet and it signs against it so we can prove the connection. And um, that wallet could represent a DAO, and we think it should. And so we're going to strongly encourage that. And we're going to provide several templates for what we think will at least kickstart what people can do on top of the T protocol. But I'm looking forward to seeing people like invent entirely new things. But, you know, you know, like we'll suggest like one, which is like, okay, just distribute the token to this multi-sig and we'll deal with it after that, as in they will. Or distribute it into a DAO properly with a treasury and that can be set aside. Or distribute it in, on, using a smart contract so that people who submit pull requests can actually like apply for like pieces of token to take off uh, from the project. So you're actually incentivizing like bug fixes and contribution, any kind of contribution. Like there's, there is all sorts of other contribution, like you say, like people who do translations, design, UX, like, things like these usually are very minorly done with open source. Like back in 2004, when I worked on KDE, which was this Linux desktop environment, people there was a lot of work for translations, but that, as it turns out, was rare. Like nowadays, you don't see nearly as much of that. Uh, of course, like AI is probably going to do it very soon, but you know, it's a good example. Assuming AI won't do it, <laughs> you know, translations could be incentivized by making sure that the DAO that is on top of your project like, is properly managed, like the governance is set up so that the token can be distributed. That's all way. And yeah, like UX, it'd be great to see like better UX applied to some of these open source projects. So I kind of feel like that's why there isn't more open source apps, is that uh, most developers are the only people incentivized currently to work on it, scratching their own little itches. And they're crappy UX, <laughs> usually. <laughs> so you end up with things that feel like super raw, as though you have to be the kind of person who loves frustrating interface that represents like just how it works underneath the hood for it to be used. So yeah, I can see like how this can really energize what happens in open source. You know, like 
one of the things we're building at T is this GUI, which represents like, it's kind of like a discovery platform for open source, essentially. And uh, I see like there being this potential future where people can build open source apps and then receive funding via the T protocol. And then the platform where people discover them is this T, the T GUI, where we're giving people like, it's like an app store, you know, but for all these open source apps that are surprisingly capable, like they need, they deserve to be seen by a completely new audience. And, you know, couple these two things together, I can see like there being over the next five, 10 years being like a change. Like, you know, it's just building on like the essence of what Web3 is about, which is like taking the power away from these enormous corporations that have centralized all this data. The TGUI is like, this extra potential area for decentralization. Yeah, it's fascinating. This whole thing is really interesting. So maybe two-part question here for you, Max, where first question would be really like, what's got you most excited about the future and prospects for T? Like out of all this activity, I mean, it sounds like there's already a lot that is happening, but you know, you've mentioned who knows how people will use this, right? So out of that whole kind of space, what's got you most excited? And then two, like what is what does broader adoption mean for the community and kind of economy you're building? What is that what is sufficient or at what point would you consider T really kind of up and humming? Yeah, good questions. So I think what I'm mostly excited about is just empowering all these devs. I've you know, I've met all these open source guys over the years and they love what they're doing, but they like me have cycled in and out of contracts. And you know, I, I managed to build homebrew part time. You know, I just wonder what I would have been able to achieve all these years if I hadn't had that the monetary restriction placed on me if i managed you know because like homebrew stagnated uh, i didn't have the energy and like i built it built a huge community it really did so i was happy to just hand it over to them but i didn't if i'd been able to work on it full time forever you know i wouldn't have stagnated wouldn't have had to build like kind of successor to it so you know i just feel that we're, we're changing the nature of the game like currently we got this world that's 90% open source and then like 10% is proprietary sliver on top. And that's driven by all the things that capitalism forces. And the internet, like, it really kind of sucks. <laughs> like, I remember when I first played <laughs> the internet when I was 11 and I just like had all these dreams for what it was going to be, you know, what it could be, like this great utopic thing that we could build where information was true and free and people were able to gain more personally and professionally from just like the sharing of knowledge and information. And instead we just built like a bunch of crappy social media products and walled gardens. The open source people were trying to build the internet of the utopic vision. And I'm, Excited to see what they'll be able to do when they're given more of a chance to do that. And in terms of what counts as success for us, well, the truth is like this is the kind of project where it has to go big. It really does. You know, Homebrew's got 50, 60 million users. It's part of the reason that, you know, we built it on the back of the idea of like building a new kind of package manager was to try and grab like a bunch of those users and 
dragged them kicking and screaming from Web 2 into Web 3. <laughs> and, you know, we're making some success with that. We're going to have our incentivized testnet launch later this year. And, you know, we're just starting to ramp up the marketing now. I've been doing podcasts for a while, but we're now starting to like really focus on getting people interested. We'll be launched for them to like participate in as users of open source or as users of crypto. So yeah, it's got to be a reasonably large number, but I think it's also possible for us to build this gradually. The people I talk to who are the ones to benefit in open source are very excited, sometimes privately because the Web2 open source people still in some ways. And the Web3 open source community is like very excited about what we're doing, of course, as well. And like, I just see the way this working is that the people who build these projects that are so important will start to insist that the users they have participate in the T protocol. They'll see that it is a way for them to get all this token funneled to them. And they'll insist that, uh, you know, these big companies put their money where their mouth is. And we'll have ways for companies to do it. And we're looking into that, you know, so that they don't have to like participate in a crypto like directly. But uh, so, you know, like uh, changing like USDC into our token. And like, you know, the tooling that we're providing makes it so easy for these companies to figure out what their graph is. I think part of the reason there isn't more contribution now is is simply like, how do you know where to put the money? How do you know how to do that? If you've got 10,000 dependencies at your company, which is not that uncommon, like, how do you make sure that every one of those dependencies is funded? And like, T Protocol makes that happen. It's it's part of the reason it couldn't have happened, you know, with regular money. It's just not something that it's built for. You need that system of smart contracts and you need like, we have like several oracles that will be running in order to like make that work. So yeah. The numbers need to be large, but I think we can build to it gradually using like smaller projects to build up to that and like having that network viral effect, word of mouth. Like when you got your the things you depend on saying that look, you need to use the system and it's easier than anything that's existed before and it works, I think that'll have a lot of impact. Yeah, that makes sense. Love it. So Maybe a couple last questions here for you, Max. First one, you know, what advice, maybe your most generalizable advice for founders building in the crypto space, blockchain space, and maybe even too, like, what would you kind of want to impart to yourself at the start of your sort of Web3 journey? I know you said you were kind of a little reluctant at first, or you didn't exactly see how it was important for your work or life. But if you could go back, what would you tell yourself kind of knowing what you know now, having done what you've done now in the space? Yeah, so advice for new Web3 founders is like definitely find some real world utility. There's enough DeFi projects, there's enough T projects, and well, you know, the height of this bear market, the funding has dried up. One thing that I've certainly found, or at least been told many times, is that because our project has something that people can actually see the point of outside of just crypto that made a big difference to them putting their money into this project or like just their support you know and it certainly helps with getting those web 2 people on board who are still skeptical about it like if crypto and web 3 is going to succeed then we need the normies to want to participate and you know when i tell normies about our project I drop the crypto bit like halfway through and they're already like starting to see why the crypto part makes sense and why it's necessary. And like so many times I've been told this is the first crypto project they've heard of that makes sense. 
And by that, they just mean like they understand why crypto is necessary and they understand like how it can make an impact and like do something proper and, and useful. Like, I mean to say proper, but you know, that, that's how they feel about it. And the second question was Yeah, just what would you want to give? What kind of advice would you give yourself if you could kind of go back in time and kind of prepare yourself for? being a founder in this space. It's been a whirlwind two years of learning <laughs> about new technologies for sure. You know, like, I, don't, I don't know what else to say apart from being more prepared. Like if only I'd known more about economics, if only I'd understood more about finance. I've always dismissed those things as because I'm more interested in the build. But what I've discovered is that they're fascinating. Like game theory, especially that part of it all, that it all comes together, right? Like tokenomics is just like kind of, beautiful in terms of understanding like different incentives and how they lead towards like something which is a greater good it's fascinating so yeah i wish i could have <laughs> known more about that yeah like, certainly yeah, yeah like, i guess two years ago max like i could have given him my some better googles on understanding those sort of aspects for sure yeah super helpful okay max last question what's your team working on right now and what's the best way for people to follow along on the journey yeah, so we're 90% on protocol right now. Design's finished. We're building out the smart contracts, planning for the incentivized testnet launch. But we also have at our GitHub, the package manager, and as I was talking about, the GUI, which I still actively work on and building out community there. It's, it's a key part of what we will be using. Like All of it will work together. Like The easiest way to onboard with our protocol and in general, like, it's a great tool for Web3 builders. It's nice. I'm really pleased with it. So, yeah, like, if you want to check them out, our website's t.xyz. And the GitHub is github.com slash txyz. And in general, we're txyz everywhere. Love it. Max, thank you so much for the time. This is a fascinating project, and it's been awesome getting to learn more about it. So I'm excited to follow all the progress coming up. And thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks very much. All right. Bye-bye.